0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Flexible Dieting Podcast. I'm Joe Klimbazeski with Kevin Brunicini and Austin Kiergaard. We're going to talk about intermittent fasting as a segue into what I think is more clinically or practically applicable, which is just how to use meal spacing and timing to your advantage, even if it does include some pretty large fasting breaks. So, I probably learned about just different fasting techniques in my first doctorate where I had to have a course on it. And there were some uh, medical applications and then a lot of health parameters, probably some of the things I recently reviewed um, that just didn't stick with me back then. But one of the things I know that we had to do, or, or I should say it was kind of extra credit, was do a fast of your choice, and I chose the most aggressive, which was a pure water fast. My intent was seven days with a fast. I made it to five, and I was—I just kind of felt, I wasn't feeling like I needed to break that fast, but I thought, you know, I kind of got what I need out of this. The weekend's coming up, and I just broke the fast gradually, but in those five days of nothing but water, it was pretty enlightening what a fasting process is like. Then as part of that course, uh, I opted to do a one meal a day, one day a week fast, which is a little bit more part of, of current research in terms of weight loss and, and health principle. And now, of course, intermittent fasting is the latest rage in pop culture. And I, I think there are some really great things to to take away from that and learn. And in, in, in one of our Flexible Dieting Institute research reviews, we did a series on fasting techniques and fast, fasting principles, and I want to touch on some of those because, again, I, I just think there are some great applications to understanding a little bit more, getting a better grasp of the metabolic switch, metabolic positioning, glucose disposal, what that means for overall health implications like A1C, uh, and just obesity, you know, gaining weight, having control over that. So uh first to you, Kevin, as as a uh nurse practitioner and somebody who works in academia now teaching future nurses and and uh you know nurse nursing practitioners, is that what we call them? Is there any place for this? What do you think about this from a medical perspective?
1: We're gonna need to do a topic just to get my titles right, but yes. that's that's another it's interesting you asked this because I was fielding this question with A bunch of students in my in my lecture last term. I don't think I convinced any of them. If you've asked me five, seven years ago on IF, I would have been very eh, as a little extreme. Even would say that, but I would have been pretty, you know, death set on implications of what it could be providing. Um, I didn't use it. This was past my active weight loss, so it was just more or less experimenting with different methodologies of how I could maintain
0: you would have been cynical like you don't need it it's not a thing or the opposite
1: i was i wasn't cynical of it i was actually in favor of it just because at the time i was practicing it yeah. purely just out of the sake of functionality of you know, i'm in i'm in the hospital while I was out of the hospital I was being clinic and going through rotations so it was just a matter of convenience where i didn't want to have to worry about eating every few hours um and therefore i would just utilize the longer stretch of, of fasting during clinical for the most part, or at least half of the day. So that's where I just utilize it in that way, but rather than really anything else that probably what we're really discussing. So, but to that, to that point of just practicality and usage, I'm, I'm all for experimentation. If clients want to want to do it or they do it and they like it. Cool. Fine. You know, long as they understand the pros and cons of, and maybe the inherent intensity, especially if you're a new dieter or it's just new process to begin with, then there's going to be some some transition adaptation going on that they need to be aware of. But if it works for them to maintain structure appropriately and hunger is controlled sensibly, then I'm all for it and to each your own. But in a general sense, I'm not one to off the cuff recommend it. I don't even myself anymore use it. Unless it's a kind of a last ditch effort for, I find myself to be a grazer when I am at parties or which isn't often, or if I'm just uh, a little feeling a little indulgent, I will make that psychological cutoff for myself to say no more. And I'll utilize that as a strategy.
0: Yeah. And I know for myself, dieting with a slower metabolism, and, and this is a good application point. I, I do need more time between meals to, to tap into body fat stores and, and to reach higher levels of fat loss. So even if you do isochloric comparisons, there there can be issues or, or differences with that. And we'll get into some animal studies that that show the different types of fasting. But, but just sticking to intermittent fasting, because I know Austin as a coach and somebody who's gone through dietetic school – you understand that this has to be the the biggest cultural uh, question presently. You know, everybody gets on the bandwagon of, oh, if that helps me lose faster, I want to do that. For example, a a former client of mine texted me a a few days ago and said, hey, Joe, is it okay to do a 72-hour fast? You know, not not a 24-hour fast, not intermittent fasting, eating one – you know, he just wanted to go three days because – he felt like he just needed that purge to get his attention. And I'm sure he saw something on the internet about that as kind of an induction, but, uh, but Austin, what, what about you? What do you think is, is really takeaway worthy from intermittent fasting?
2: So I want to go back a little bit. I think when we're talking about intermittent fasting and to Joe's point, there's, there's different types of fasting. The most common type of fasting is the 16, eight method. So fasting for 16 hours and eating for eight hours, I think there's, benefits to it, especially with, you know, seeing things from, you know, like going through dietetics, but also seeing it where it can be beneficial clinically. Uh, Specifically, it's pretty popular in patients with like seizures and seizure disorder. Um, There's just something about restricting glucose that the brain tends to create less seizures when it functions on more of a higher fat content and a lower glucose content myself, I used to have a seizure disorder. It used to be absent seizures. And I would say when I was a kid, I would, would have probably rather have tried a, something like a keto diet than all the things that I actually had to go through for them to figure out what was going on with me. So there, there can be some clinical benefits to it. And to your point, Joe, then it becomes popularized. If it's very good for, if it can really help with seizures and it can help with cancer patients, then this should be, why are we not all living our lives like this? So I, I say it like everything else. I think if there's a, a, a purpose for it. I think there's benefits to it. I think it's a tool in the tool belt. I think it's very specific for certain people. I have nurses that have done it for a long time. To Kevin's point, it's because they're in clinic for a 12-hour rotation. It's just easy for them not to eat because they're so busy. And then to have that eight-hour window. But I think that there's also some some mistakes when it comes to fasting. So I know people that will approach me and say, yeah, I've been doing it intermittent fasting. I just feel so much better. I just drink coffee throughout the day and I'm good. I don't know what's in that coffee. You know, is it a fully sugary loaded coffee? Cause now we're kind of breaking the fast, even plain coffee can have some calories. However, that might be worth noting and discussing on maybe that's just a modified version of it where it's just people having just plain coffee and water to kind of get them through the day until they can get into that fed state. So I believe that there are benefits to it. I believe that it needs to be used in the appropriate way. And it needs to be used for the appropriate person because the other thing, and and I'll kind of end it here because this can be an expanded topic is socially, you know, if if we're talking weight loss, using intermittent fasting socially can be very difficult because going out to eat at a restaurant, that's going to be hard thing to do. It might fall and and you want to go have coffee or lunch with a friend that might fall in your 12 hour fast. It just gets kind of hard to manage, you know, from the social standpoint, and we are all social beings. Um, so that's kind of where I'm I'm at with intermittent fasting. Um, uh, but I'll toss it back to you, Joe, because I feel like I could just dive in deeper with all those things. And I want to just keep on topic.
0: Yeah, well, and, and I do want to touch on the different types of fasting beyond intermittent, but just to put a bow on that, because I know, again, it's, it's what people are talking about. Um, research does show that a 16 hour, as you mentioned, fast is not that much different than a 12. And so it's not per se, the exact amount of time, energy balance implications are baked into that, which are if you're super, super active, then maybe you don't need quite as long. If you have a very fast metabolism, you're an ectomorph, maybe, you know, it's a a mistake to go a full 16 hours. So you do have to think about that. The, The biggest thing that helps people from a physiological standpoint is the fact that they're just not eating around the clock. They're not eating right up to bedtime and necessarily eating right out of bed if you don't need to. So there are all kinds of reasons. research also shows because the most popular intermittent fasting style is to just skip breakfast and wait till lunch so that you have your midday and evening hours clear for food. Research shows that skipping breakfast is a bad idea. I mean, it really, really does. And so even again with isochloric diets, isochloric comparisons, it does almost behoove you to do that in the morning. And my very first bodybuilding contest I dieted for i didn't do this because intermittent fasting was a thing i don't know why i did it but i would eat breakfast at five or six in the morning i got done training at about one or two in the afternoon i would eat my last meal and i i was awake for the next eight or so hours and i just didn't eat again so by two in the afternoon i was finished eating and to this day that is the leanest i've ever been so correlated or not Like that application where I didn't skip the morning hours, I skipped the evening hours was was amazing. But uh, Kevin, back to different forms of fasting. In literature, one meal a day fasting is a thing, and especially one meal a day alternated fasting where you may have a normal day, then the next day you just have one meal, then a normal day, et cetera. Uh, Have you looked medically at different reasons for that, or do you put any... stock into any kind of methodology like that.
1: I'm going to be pretty dumbfounded on on the answer because I, I don't recall any personal clinical experience, you know, with medically and or with with clients in that degree um just in a IF type of protocol so 16:8 type mm-hmm. of uh fashion but not to I don't want to call it extreme but not to the degree of, you know, one day fasting or alternating um based on what we have you know, what you shared in the research review, though, with the, if I could extrapolate some of the, the antidotes from clients that do intermittent fasting protocol, you know, their hunger certainly does improve for most part. In, in some instances, some clients may say the opposite, but in general, most, you know, for the majority speaking, most of them do have improved hunger signals, hunger cues, I should say. And I would Based on what you have said in your research reviews, that has been further heightened when you have uh, more intense fasting protocols that the hunger does improve due to glucose uh, sensitivity improvements, et cetera, et cetera. And um, whether that is because of a mechanical thing from a physiological standpoint and or from just out of sight, out of mind type of mindset where you're just not having to think about your next meal every three hours. I would think it's probably a little bit of both because that's it is quite convenient, and I have to worry about that, especially with your work and just other inundations. So that's probably as, as limited I can say with that. But it, you know, assuming all the pros and cons, all the context is discussed with with the client, then it's it's potentially worthwhile to to experiment with and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, that's a much better answer. To a question I didn't ask, I, I owe you a better question. That was just not great, but you you, you did great answering that, uh, Austin. Any last things on practicality that you can tell people about? Why even just meal space extension is better as a form of fasting, not necessarily a quantifiable intermittent fast, but just just why, why is that important?
2: Just allowing your, just allowing your body to use the food. I mean, if we're constantly doing the bodybuilder thing, shoveling every 90 minutes to two hours or whatever, like our body's still processing the previous meal. So this just doesn't make sense. And I mean, there's lots of ways we can go. We can talk about muscle protein synthesis. I mean, that peaks at like around 90 to 120 minutes. So just maximizing the amount of protein and getting in a meal can be important for meal spacing but also just allowing the body because your, your gastric emptying time is anywhere from three to five hours, you know? So it's just letting your body process that food. So, you know, I, I try to tell people be, f- you know, flexible dieting, right. But it's be flexible. Like if, if it's three hours and you're not hungry, don't eat, like you can stretch it out. It's okay. Like my perfect window is like, I feel a little bit of hunger coming on around four hours. So I might eat just because I might know that it might extend into eight hours because of what I've got going on but I can probably go to about five hours right now without feeling super hungry. So again, it's like, if you're not that hungry, you know, then extend it out. Your body is going to appreciate that it, you know, and then when you eat your next meal to your point, Joe, like it's just going to process much easier, but the whole trying to eat every two hours, eating eight to nine meals a day, I, I just feel like that's, you know, kind of been pushed to the wayside, thankfully. So, uh, I'm a big fan of documentation and in, in trial and error. Like see how you're feeling at extending meals at this point, see how you're looking and, and note that, you know, write it down pen and paper on your phone, whatever, and just document what you're doing, because that's going to help give you a lot of that instant feedback on what makes sense. Same thing with fasting. I'll share a quick story. I know someone that he did just plain coffee and fasted for his 16. He ended up losing 40 pounds and keeping it off, you know, but he, did a lot of trial and error to get to that point. So I think that that's very valuable as well as just getting a lot of that personal feedback and and how you're responding to the, the extension of meals or even just with the fasting.
0: The physiological digestion impact of what you described is exactly why it's helpful and why I also am glad we got away from the bodybuilding lore in nutrition in terms of just eating tiny, tiny meals every two or three hours versus letting yourself get filled up and then taking the time to digest that. And, and I'll close with this. that That's why sometimes it is an effective device just to practice a fast. Uh, what Kevin was mentioning in research is that with animal studies, with ad libitum eating, when they're not restricted once they are done with a fasting round, uh, mice would still lose weight as long as they got to eat one meal a day. As soon as you take food away completely, then they're going to binge and and you you just get in that starvation mode. So, if you want something just as a little bit of a gut check and to practice this, do try a one meal fast not every day. That's not your protocol to eat this way for a dieting process, but just to say, you know what, on Monday or Friday or Wednesday whenever, I'm going to not eat all day until dinner Then I'm going to have 25% of my normal calories at dinner, normal dinner. Don't, don't get crazy. Don't binge. Don't let hunger get to you. Just do that. And what will happen is it's not the impact of the dieting that does it. It's the fact that you get used to so much better glucose disposal and getting into lipolysis where your body is becoming more fat adapted. And you make that transition through the metabolic switch much more easily And physiologically, that's where, as Kevin said, you can start reducing hunger cues. A lot of great things happen. But again, that's just kind of a practice thing because then once you know you can do that, if I can withhold food for a full day, of course I can go four hours. Of course, if I have a little hunger pang, I don't have to immediately run to the pantry. So I hope that helps, guys. We're going to tackle some more topics here this week in the Flexible Dieting Institute. We'll see you for the next one.